Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Complimentary Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Langerman, joined as always by Anthony Hobday. And today's a a special, exciting episode because it's a a milestone for us in reaching our one year of Complimentary. Before we recorded this, Katie told me I have to sound excited. So (laughs) here here it is. Woo. <laughs> wow. That is a lot. That was a lot from you. It's hard to, I don't know. <laughs> no, one year, it it sounds a lot longer than it feels. I think uh, Yeah. when you, when a podcast feels this effortless, that's maybe from my side rather than yours because you do all the editing and the hosting and everything. But when it feels this effortless and you get to talk about things that you really enjoy talking about, it's, uh, the year goes by quickly. It does. It's been a lot of fun. I don't think we've talked about the origin of this podcast before either, have we? We must have on episode one. Maybe. I think we should remind everyone how this, yeah. how we got started with this. Some people might not have listened to episode one. They might have picked us up because it's, if you find out about a podcast, you know, 13 episodes in, yeah, it's hard to go back and listen to all of them, I suppose. So uh, the origin, because I am uh, responsible, but not... Uh, responsible is me the wrong word because i'm trying to find the opposite which is i don't actually do all the work i, I had the idea <laughs> but basically I, I posted on uh then twitter now x and said i'd like to make a podcast but i don't want to do any of the work and then uh katie the co-host uh popped into my dms and said i want to do all the work and i thought it was a <laughs> gift from heaven that's uh so it's the ideal situation so uh the complimentary was born yep yeah, I I had wanted to do a podcast too, but I wasn't sure what I I knew I wanted to be about design. I didn't know if I wanted to do it by myself. I felt like I wanted to have a co-host and have like conversations about design. I'd been following you for a while, and when I in my head when I was imagining like what kind of podcast I wanted to do, it was basically the content that you were posting all of the time on Twitter, but just in podcast form. So I think I would have I would have been taking inspiration from you anyways. And then seeing you like post that you want to do a podcast, I was like, okay, I got to DM this person. And we didn't know each other at all. So no, and I think it worked out really well. Sometimes you just got to meet a stranger and start a podcast together. <laughs> well, I have wondered before whether this is the only time in history that this sort of situation has worked out as well as it did. Because I think most people, they just post something into the ether and then they get some real weirdos contacting them. Yeah. And nothing ever gets off the ground because the person doesn't have the right, uh, doesn't have the same approach to it. So you know that you'd be fighting over things. Uh, so I think maybe complimentary podcast is sort of the one case where someone posted out of the blue and someone responded out of the blue and it just clicked immediately. Mm, the only time it's ever happened. Yeah, we are unique. <laughs> it's been really great. Um, excited to keep going with it. and. We have a fun episode planned for today as our kind of like one year celebration. It's kind of a game. Mm. So this was your idea. You seem to come up with all of the great fun ideas. Um, but basically, it's, <laughs> it's complimentary. Uh, <laughs> what we're going to do is we each came up with a couple of sentences that the other person is going to complete related to design right? Hopefully yours are all related. Okay. We don't know what these sentences are. 
So it's no. going to be a little bit of a improv situation, I guess, or like gut reaction type response. Yeah. First thing that comes into your head and then feel free to think about it afterwards and give <laughs> a different answer. But I'm curious about the first thing that comes into your head. Yeah. Kind of a hot take potentially, depending on the question. Mm. And yeah, that's what we've got. Yeah. Who should go first? I think I mean, I want to ask the first question. Okay, sounds good. See how it goes. And we're going to alternate, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll alternate. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready, Anthony? Yeah, I've got my eyes closed. I'm ready. <laughs> when designing a user interface, the most important principle to remember is... Ooh, something like usability popped into my head, but that sounds quite boring to me. I think maybe it's meeting expectations. Hmm. The idea Those of meeting expectations... Not the person who will be using it. So it's, I keep coming back to this idea that people talk about consistency, but actually consistency can be harmful and it can make things less usable. Whereas meeting expectations always makes things more usable. It may not make it as interesting or fun or whatever, because usually you have to surprise people a little to sort of get a, a result, like a, a reaction from them. But I think as long as you figure out what those expectations are for the people who will use your interface and then meet them or exceed them, you know, mm. uh, then you've made a good interface. And that covers things like performance because if they expect it to be fast and it should be fast, uh, or in case of exceeding them, if they expect it to be slow and you make it fast, that's even better. Yeah. Uh, if they expect this button to do this thing when they click it, then it should do that thing. Right. So it covers so many, um, uh, basics. I think maybe that's because interfaces are basically all about interaction. And when we interact, we expect a certain response. So mm -hmm. it seems to be quite a, a nice um, underlying principle. I like that. It's nice and it covers a lot of things. It's a little bit broad, which is... Yeah, same with uh, visual, the visual styles, branding and everything. If someone expects uh, a bank website to look a certain way, there's benefit to making it look that way. Mm -hmm. Although I will say there's also benefits to not making it look that way because you are uh, setting new expectations in some cases. Right. So it's not universal. Well, most things aren't, I guess. No, I <laughs> wish they depends. were though. That would be, That'd be great for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. You ready for my first sentence? Yep. I'm ready. It's going to feel so trivial compared to yours and also <laughs> like I'm just fishing, fishing for hot takes. Oh no. Okay. The worst button is dot, dot, dot. What? The worst button? Yeah. I'm, I'm leaving it broad so you can say whatever you interpret okay. it as. The worst button is a button that doesn't look like a button at all. And you have no idea that it's interactive because it doesn't have a border. It doesn't have any depth to it. Maybe one or the like all or uh, one or the other at least uh it doesn't have any interactive states like hover and active the label in it is just super vague and not related to the action at all i'm just like imagining all of the rules that you could break to create a button mm. in an interface things that i've seen in real interfaces for sure oh yeah i don't know if that's what you're looking for or if you're like thinking that I have a collection of buttons that I've seen in, in products just sitting in my head, like that I hate that I think about and I'm, I've been holding on to and waiting to share because <laughs> I don't. No, I, I think I expected you would talk about it in terms of the sort of 
not principles necessarily, but the attributes Mechanics. of the button. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's absolutely fine. You could have gone in a different direction, like a specific button on the internet somewhere. For example, the buy now button on Amazon. That's quite Ugh. dangerous uh, for some people. Mm. It's just so easy. Yeah. You know what I also hate is a div with a roll of button. That that will really make my blood boil. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's any buttons out there that are so bad they don't have a, a cursor change when you hover over them. Oh, for sure. Because if it's, uh, it's not it, even a button, then it probably doesn't and you have to... Although that is like a... That's an, also an opinion people have of like what the cursor should be over buttons and links. Mm. This is the weird thing because... For me, with uh, if you come from like an operating system application background, the cursor doesn't change when you hover over a button. So for that signifier to be so strong and powerful on the web, it feels a bit weird because as soon as you get outside of the web to the browser itself, yeah. even uh, you don't have that. It's just a standard cursor. So they're relying on less to you know. But that's the foundation of the interaction you're you're having. So I find that uh, That is strange. I like the cursor change personally. It's very useful. I think it's I think it's it is, helpful. Yeah. I think that's the reason we're moving to web applications is not anything else. It's because it allows for cursor changes on hover. And that's, <laughs> that's such a usability boost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Ready? Next question. The key to a successful career in design is Ugh. I have such a cynical answer for this, but I also have a, a more... We want to hear it. <laughs> I also have a less cynical answer, right? The way it should be versus the way it is. You can hear both. And um, yeah, okay. The way it should be is that you care about quality and you do whatever you can to achieve that wherever you are. And you take the time to read up about design because you never know when a certain theory might help you or a certain technique you've seen might help. And you find people that you really enjoy working with because then you'll make great things and you won't be so frustrated about the lack of, you know, good communication or, uh, but you also find good products to work on things you believe in because, you know, that will help you to reach new heights. And I think the more you do all of those things, sort of the better a designer you'll become and the better a designer you are, the more people will recognize that and will reward you handsomely. And the cynical answer is that um, make a lot of work that people are impressed by and share it publicly as often as you can and you just get job offers out of the ears <laughs> from Aww. random people in their DMs, you know? Yeah. And uh, also, if you, if you hide your process a little bit and make it seem a bit magical, then, you know, that will impress people who don't know much about design. Like if you work for an agency, for example, you can really appeal to the non-agency folk if you um, make it seem like you'll you're doing magic and that they will never understand it because they'll pay you a lot more probably. Wow. I like the first one. That was a beautiful picture <laughs> that you painted. Oh, uh, I should include something in there in the first one, the beautiful picture about understanding the people you're designing for, because that's, mm. you know, so key to designing something good. I talked about quality immediately, but um, obviously understanding, proper understanding is vital for yeah. quality. and. Um, you'll be able to make something a lot better and impress a lot more people if you make something that's based on you know, real understanding. But um, I think lots of people are willing to hire designers and not require any research at all. And therefore, you don't have to do that. You can just uh, make the beautiful work and share it. <laughs> Successful career. 
maybe there's a happy medium somewhere somewhere in the middle yeah i think everyone should be prepared for both i think if you focus too much on the first picture you might get overlooked by people who are too focused on the second one yeah which might be a good thing and uh, vice versa yep I, I i feel hopeful that you can avoid the second one of like having to just publicly share your work to get dms of job offers by doing something from the first one which is making friends and networking and having people that like know that you do good work and then those people advocate for you to get those interviews so it's less showy because you can show off to your friends privately <laughs> i don't know it doesn't have to be this like big showcase thing yeah i mean this is the other thing is that in the first picture actually you wouldn't need to network because everyone's looking for uh you know the the, the good results of your labor yeah but uh everyone senior who talks about how they got jobs they usually talk about having a network and how that really helped them it's true and uh, that feels wrong in many ways because you know if you're a good designer hopefully you'd have a successful career but if no one's heard of you or you've worked for companies that don't uh, that people haven't heard of then uh, suddenly you're it's harder to you know get the right role yeah so there's uh, there's definitely some cynicism you can inject into the mix and uh, benefit from can I quickly tangent off of this one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about this recently um, because I was mentoring someone last summer, like an intern, a design intern that we had at GitHub. And I think it's so easy in our industry to kind of only focus on the people who are at or or above your level in design and like those are your champions. Um but it's so important to champion people below you, even way, way below you, like just starting out in their career, even if they might not be like at your level, maybe they're not a great designer yet because they're still learning. There's something so powerful about just giving those people opportunities and like pushing them to keep going or giving them positive feedback as much as possible. Because I think I had someone do that for me when I was still in school and it basically opened up a ton of opportunities for me to grow and learn. And I feel like that helped me get where I am today, even though I wasn't a great designer yet. They kind of acted like I was <laughs> and like, you know, helped me get freelance roles and opportunities and stuff like that. So just something to think about kind of related to the networking thing um, in the, I guess, more cynical option <laughs> of our mm. industry. Um don't forget about the people just starting out. No, and to be clear, I made some comments about networking earlier, but um, even if you didn't use networking in the cynical sense of, you know, it'll help me find a job, you can learn so much just by talking to other designers yeah. and networking in that sense to improve your abilities as a designer. And I think one of the reasons I was so passionate at the start is because I had a, a Slack group I was a part of that was full of designers and I could talk to them about everything. And that helped so much. And I, so I feel like I feel bad for designers who are basically going it alone and just watching yeah. YouTube videos and things because there's so much conversation that could be happening, even if that conversation doesn't lead to job offers, which is the sort of the cynical approach. Uh, they can still be learning a lot more, improving, just like what happened to me. And you, know, you meet people in real life and um, it's nice to be part of a community in that way. Yeah. Uh, but I will say to your tangent that uh, it has to go both ways. And it's such a great situation when the mentee 
yeah. is active and engaged because I've started so many mentor-mentee relationships where the person basically ghosted me yep. after one session because clearly <laughs> they weren't particularly invested. And I've had other mentees that just stuck with it for a long time. Yes. Uh, even though you could tell they were, it was like painful for them to like keep having their work, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say put down, but keep having their work sort of critiqued. Like that's a very painful process to go through. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a slow learning process getting into design. So the more engaged they are, I think the more willing anyone will be uh, to mentor them and uh, yeah. stick with it because it is rewarding. I totally agree with you. It's easier if it's not just to get a job as well. It's like, I think it's better to start those relationships for other reasons and then job opportunities sort of come up naturally over time. Mm. Yeah, I was not as good at that as I should have been (laughs) earlier in my career. Uh, Posting on social media has helped tremendously. Yeah. Okay. That requires a different uh, mindset, I suppose. It does. It's a specific kind of personality. That was one sentence. We uh, we definitely went off on Oops. a... No, no, it's good. <laughs> uh, so my second sentence. Okay. I wish I could convince all designers to... Dot, dot, dot. Oh, my God. You know what I'm going to say to this one, I think. This is a leading question. <laughs> no, it's uh, very broad. If you think it's leading, that's just your you know mind. Okay. I think all designers should learn HTML and CSS and build their own things at least a little bit i knew it <laughs> no I, I didn't know it i just feel so strongly about that one um i've seen it impact people's careers positively when they get in there and are able to do that and speak the same language and make the quality that they are complaining about not happening in their product and they just get it and do it themselves and even teach engineers how they did it and show, I mean, it's a code, it's code. So they're showing their work. I think engineers can learn from that too. I cannot think of a single negative to learning to write a little bit of code and just like being your own champion of the quality of your work, your design work, Mm. making sure that it actually looks like that in reality outside of your design tools. So actually one negative I I can think of because we talked about this, this might've been not on an episode. I think this was before or after we recorded, we talked about flow state and you basically told me like flow state is different when you're writing code versus designing and uh, flow state for you is dangerous in code land because it's hard to escape it (laughs) and it's like kind of time consuming and brain consuming. Uh, so maybe the be- a downside is potentially you find out you love writing code and then you, I don't know, stop being a designer. I don't know. What it happens, happens to <laughs> some of us and it's tragic. <laughs> some great designers have basically started their own companies and they seem to be writing more code than they are oh, designing. I think, you, know, you could be pushing pixels around. What are you doing with that open <laughs> open bracket? Less, less than sign. Mm. Uh, but on this point, actually, Maybe it's a good uh, illustration. This morning, a developer at the company I worked at sent me a message and said, oh, Anthony, what does fill mean in Figma? And they were talking about the layout option, which says, make the width of this component fill the thing. <clears throat> and so because I know CSS, I was able to talk about the CSS properties that it's most similar to. Mm-hmm. And so that helped the conversation. 
but then later on, the developer said, I've been looking at your designs and you make some pretty good decisions about layout. And I, I asked him what he meant and he never came back to me. But I think <laughs> his point was that this is laid out in a way that, you know, a developer can easily make sense of. Yeah. And I think that's because I think in terms of the sort of box model of the, um, the internet, CSS. And it's hard for me now not to think about that because I, I write my own HTML and CSS. And so I, I tend to think about layout in those ways. I think about it in, in terms of um, composable blocks or whatever you design system people call them. <laughs> you make realistic designs that are possible to build is what you're saying. Yes, which does limit me a bit on the creative side, but it means I can have the conversations with developers where I can say, you know, I, I, th I think it is possible if you just yes. use this property yeah. and then they can explain to me, oh, no, it's not possible for this other reason. I'm like, oh, I understand now. Mm -hmm. So we don't have an argument about it. We just, conversation. You know, conversation where we both understand each other. Is, uh, those are good conversations, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, you just can't beat that. Speaking the same language is so important with collaboration. <laughs> so... And I it, think this it's funny is to future. imagine you're talking literally. <laughs> when you want, when you want to collaborate, both speaking the same language is, is really important. It's like, yeah, it's absolutely. You know, you know, everyone knows what I mean. But yeah, I think it's going to be more important than ever. And I think, yeah, I think design engineering is probably where a lot of us are heading in the future. So get in there now, learn what you can. Okay. Are you ready for your next question? Uh, yep. Yeah, I keep I, I getting hold held up on that final point you made. I want to make the counterpoint and say, oh, no. even though I do, even though I do know how to write code, um, I think there'll always be a place for designers who are really good at design. Yeah. Regardless of what they can produce, so um, uh, because I usually sort of bristle at comments like that, even though I am one of those people in a way. I don't know why I do. I think it's like a, a defense mechanism, maybe. But if anyone at home is listening and feels the same way as I once did, <laughs> then uh, don't learn how to code. Just learn how to get better at Figma. You'll be fine. I will say when I said that sentence, I'm thinking of it more actually from the engineering perspective, because I think mm. straight up engineering, front end engineering is on its way out a little bit, which is scary to say. But I think like being an engineer who also designs is where you would want to be or a designer who can mm -hmm. do a little bit of engineering. I do still think, I think pure design roles will continue to exist, but I'm not sure pure front-end engineering roles will continue to exist. So. Yeah, if they can make that whole workflow easier, I'll be very happy. Because <laughs> when I see someone join a company and it takes a day and a half to set up their development environment because there's yeah. 18,000 commands they have to enter in exactly the right way, exactly the right order into their terminal. I just think this, this is not well designed. No. Like, anyone who's saying designer should learn how to do this, Make is an absolutely mad person because it's a completely <laughs> different mindset, completely different context, completely different sort of work setup. Yeah. And uh, that also maybe I have this strong reaction just because that side of it sort of baffles and annoys me that it hasn't been made easier to write the code. It's been made harder uh, yeah, over time. It depends. Yeah. I think I'm pretty lucky at GitHub. We have a lot of tooling in place that makes it just so easy to pop open a repo and write code but if you've not. got a, a laptop fresh out of the box and you wanted to start writing code realistically how many minutes hours days would it take you to get from fresh laptop to uh writing code that you can ship to production 
uh, if I'm using GitHub tools that I have access to, like code spaces. Yep. I don't know. 10 minutes. I need to download okay, a browser. I'm I need to download VS Code. I need to sign into GitHub. And I need to press a button hmm. to open a code space. That's nice. <laughs> but that's like because we put in the legwork. That's what I'm like a repository needs to have a configuration that makes it that easy for anyone to jump in and use a code space. And this is very GitHub specific. This is a tool that we have access to, or I mean, public, the public has access to as well, probably have to pay for it, but, uh, yeah. it's not going to be the case everywhere. So, but I think it's a good sign that that's the direction that we're moving in. Yeah. I assume there are benefits to writing code for the tool that hosts all the code <laughs> that sort of powers the tool like it's very uh self-contained yeah and there's different yeah github is built on rails that's not an easy environment to set up if you if we didn't have code spaces and you asked me that question i would say a day or two probably because i've never set up a rails environment on a computer before and i don't ever want to no exactly that's exactly the point <laughs> i'm making yeah. i never want to do what i've seen developers have to do Yes. Anyway. Okay. Was I asking a question? Uh, how many have you asked? I've asked two. I've asked two. And you well. started, so you go next. Okay. Ooh, which one do I want to hit you with? I'm going to hit you with this one because I, I think it's funny. The best colors to use in interface design are? Blue. <laughs> oh, okay. Next question. <laughs> no, uh, I, I have this semi-joke, but semi-real advice that blue is always good. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not sure what to do with color, just use blue and use as little as possible. Yeah. And uh, I quite like it because it makes it very easy for people who are new to design to get stuck in with color. And they can ignore all of those 10 color per scale palettes, of, <laughs> you know, 30 colors total. Yep. Uh, if you just do it black and white and then soften the, the black and white a bit, then add some blue for, you know, actions, for example, <clears throat> you're good to go. And lots of, I mean, if you look at uh, some major tech companies, they have very paired back palettes. Yeah. Uh, but blue is also good because it's a safe color. Everyone likes blue, maybe because it's the color of the sky and the color of the sea because of the sky. Like, I don't think anyone really has a problem with blue, whereas other colors are a lot more divisive, like red and yellow, like the more um, yep. bold colors. Uh, but for the same reason, blue is relatively boring. So it's a bit plain and a bit dull, but it is extremely safe to use. Mm. And if you want to use, I think it's also maybe because it looks good at lighter and darker tints and shades. Yeah, it's versatile. So you've got like sky blue at the top or baby blue, and then you've got like a dark sort of deeper blue at the bottom, which is great for things like text colors. And so if you want this uh, very coherent color palette and you've got all shades of blue, they're basically all going to look good. Whereas yellows and oranges look brown when they get dark. Yes. <laughs> and they've got contrast issues because, you know, they can be much brighter than other colors or much less bright. Uh, things like purple and orange have very sort of strong associations and they're, they're quite, they sort of, they don't attack our senses, but they're very bold colors. And so they're harder to use in a, a safe way. So I think the closest, the, the closest you can get to blue is green. It's naturally it sits next to it on the uh, color wheel, but green's also a very safe color because it's um, associated with nature and it's got all the same properties. It's just I think because of that strong nature association, it's uh, maybe it's a bit more branded 
mm. than blue is. Mm-hmm. Like, I would say that's, that's true about the sky as well, but maybe because the sky isn't really a thing, it's just sort of ever-present. We don't think of it as being associated with certain you know, ideas in our head, whereas green is very much associated with trees and algae and all, like money, <laughs> all these things. Like, It's got much stronger associations with specific things in our head. Yeah. I think it helps that blue isn't a natural color normally, like uh, not many animals are blue. There's not many blue rocks or, you know, trees or whatever that. You get some flowers and stuff, but that's it. Uh, so yeah, use blue. Okay. I like that. I thought for sure you were going to say no colors, black and white. <laughs> oh, well, no, that's a bit too extreme. I do. I really enjoy that, but it's hard to make it work. It is hard. Uh, next question. Yep. The best designed website on the internet is? Oh, my God. Why did you have to hit me with this hard question? It doesn't have to be visual design, to be clear. It could be a design, a website you really enjoy using. Hmm. My mind goes to tools more than websites. Like Obsidian is a tool that I use a lot. Mm. Does that count? Let's say yes. <laughs> do, do, they, do they have a web interface or is it just an app? I don't know. I think they probably do. But I prefer web apps. Maybe that's it. I really don't like using tools in the browser. I like to have a, a web app because I like to full screen everything. Um, when you say web app, do you mean you've sort of created an icon for it? No, I guess I just mean app. Right, it's right. a real app that you can download. But it's like yeah, some apps are you can, yeah. like Figma is a web app like, technically, right? Because it's basically the same thing as in the browser versus what you're seeing on your uh, maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, but the the line is definitely blurred. Yeah, it is now. Um, Obsidian is one of my favorite tools to use from a design perspective, but also usability. It's so fast. I used to be really into Notion. I don't. I'm sure they've solved for this. It was many years ago that I was using Notion, but it got to the point where it was just so slow. It was like unusable to be i mean it for a task of like taking notes which is should be a really fast <laughs> speedy experience um i think it's strange that you use notion many years ago and you've probably heard that they've added about 600 features since then yeah. but you somehow think they've been this is no slight on notion but you somehow think they've been they've able to make faster. it faster <laughs> I, that does not happen that's true i don't know like i just remember them being like unbearably slow that people lots of people were just leaving and so i assumed they wouldn't have survived if they hadn't fixed that slowness issue but it's the 600 features that uh that's it out. yeah power users power users are the real uh, uh i think the people who use the notion the most these days yeah but i don't use notion myself so that's um based on probably quite negative impressions i get mm -hmm. i did experiment with tana for a little while um, I think that's how you say it. It's another really beautiful design. I would like, that was kind of what drew me to it was the interface was just very nice and clean, but that was not a 
desktop app that was in a tab. And that's kind of why I stopped using it because I won't go to it if it's in a tab. I need a full mm. screen app to like force me to do things like that. Um, and I also, it was a really painful experience to move from Notion to Obsidian. I think they, they kind of like, it should be an easy experience to move all of your data, but for me, it was a nightmare. And so now I'm very much like, I just want to keep all of my stuff kind of local yeah. the way that Obsidian does it so that it's easy for me to move in the future if I need to. Um, How are you spelling the name of that app you mentioned? Tana, T-A-N-A. I don't think I've heard of it. You should look at it, uh, like, and look at the, <laughs> the visual design of it. Actually, it might have been a closed beta for a while. I'm not sure if it's open now. I'll see if I have any invites in mind, but um, it was pretty cool. It's it's much more like connecting. If you're into mind maps and like connecting data mm. with like tags, which I I got it really into it, and then I got lazy, and now I'm just not doing that at all. I'm just writing notes and figuring it out later. So. Yeah. There's like fine line because sometimes with these tools, you just spend so much time perfecting the system that you're not using the tool anymore to like write. Uh, and I think Obsidian is very good at just you can do all of that or you can just use it and write notes and it's you can search for whatever you're looking for later. So mm. anyways, I kind of just I took your question and just converted it to what's your favorite productivity tool? Well, fine. it's interesting because part of the reason I asked this question is I was curious whether other people would have an instant answer to this. Probably. Uh, like I do because... Yep. I, you look at a lot of websites. I've always got websites in the mind, even though I don't work on them that often. So uh, I was curious if everyone else who designs stuff, you know, also had uh, a similar space in their brain just for, this is my favorite website. I think that most people probably do. I'm, I'm not a good representation of of this because I don't spend nearly as much time looking at design as you do. I think it's the circles I, I move in. Maybe it's, it's probably not that common. <laughs> uh, if you focus on a thing, I think it's easy to assume that everyone focuses on that thing. Mm. Okay. Should we each do one more question? I mean, we're a little bit at time, but I think we have time. We can for do one. rapid fire. Okay. Rapid fire. For a design portfolio to stand out, it should. Be beautiful. No one confirms this, or no one confirmed it to me. I had to keep reading between the lines. I don't think anyone wants to admit that a beautiful portfolio makes a big impact. Hmm. But I think what's interesting to me is that you can look at all the advice people have about portfolios and personal websites, and sometimes they disagree with each other. But no one ever talks about, or hardly ever talks about, how beautiful a portfolio should be, and therefore that feels like the one that's always true. Because no one's even discussing it, right? No one's yeah. saying, oh, it shouldn't be beautiful. And no one else is saying, oh, it should be beautiful. Because both of those people feel like idiots for saying that it either should be beautiful, because that's important for some reason, or they feel like an idiot for saying that it shouldn't be beautiful, because that's a weird thing to say, right? Who doesn't like beautiful stuff? And so that feels like the one thing that should be true about every portfolio to impress everyone, because beauty does impress everyone. And then everything else, it feels like whoever you're, whichever company you're applying to, they'll have their own personal preferences for mm. your portfolio either they want more story in your case studies or less story because they're bored or they want more finished uh, mock-ups or they want less finished mock-ups because they want to focus on your process or you know it's too long or it's too short or they want to learn more about you as a person or they don't they just want to learn about the work 
So it seems to completely depend on who you're applying to a job with, except for beauty. So but annoyingly, that's one of the, the hardest parts to get right. So uh, <laughs> I can help with that. Send me a... Yes. Have... I, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say this because I'll you know probably get a lot. Because there's lots of designers, they have lots of portfolios and they want lots of feedback. Yeah. And they often don't take that feedback and do anything with it. So um, it, it feels slightly pointless to me to offer it. But mentor-mentee me mentality. Yeah, yes. Send me, if I don't get 600 messages based on this, then uh, feel free to send me a message and I'll give you feedback about your portfolio, specifically to make it more beautiful. Okay. Because I can't guarantee anything else. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to start working on mine soon and I'll send it to you. And you can rip it apart. I've been saying this for a year, though, so we'll see. Yeah, it's hard to work on our own projects. Yeah. Maybe that's why the people who ask for feedback, you know, it's easy, easier to ask for feedback than implement it, I yes. guess. Yeah. Or they're hard in different ways. <laughs> okay. Uh, last question from me. Yep. This is a long sentence fragment. Oh, geez. If I could make any change to the way I work with any role, it would be. Ooh. With any role. I'm talking magic. You know, you can just wave a wand. And the way you work with anyone you work with of a certain position or role changes. Hmm. This is tough. This is, I want to, how do I want to answer this? There's a lot of scope here for uh, basically complaining about specific types of people. Exactly. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, and that's, that's risky. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I feel like the role of the PM is interesting and for someone who does both design and development, it's a tricky role to collaborate with because like you're doing a lot of, I think they're not sure what category to put you in. If they're trying to project manage you, it's hard for them to, to project manage you because they're not really sure what area you, you want to be focusing in. Even if you say you want to do both, it's their job to make sure the designer is doing the designer thing and the engineer is doing the engineer thing. And if you say, well, I think I could do both of those things. Suddenly they're like, well, what do I tell the engineer to be doing? <laughs> and my answer is do something else. I don't know. Uh, which is not very nice or great and not very collaborative um, and not doesn't really make sense for projects. But sometimes I do struggle to understand what the engineer should be doing if I feel like I can do a really good portion of that work, but maybe not take it all the way. Yeah. So I wish that was better. I don't really know how to make it better because I don't think it's, it's fair to tell people to do less if they have the ability to do more just because somebody else should be filling that role necessarily. But then again, it is important to understand your role and to support others and be like a sous chef instead of the lead chef in the kitchen. So I guess it just depends yeah. on your own priorities and what you want to be focusing on. Well, if someone came to you and said, here's a very clear breakdown of responsibilities between you and someone else, would that be enough? Or is it that you think you can do the work and so therefore you think you should do the work? Hmm. I think it would be helpful to understand. Maybe that is kind of where the issue lies in 
design systems work specifically because it's not just implementing something, it's usually designing an API. So it's not mm. like, I drew this picture, put it on the web now, please. It's like, I came up with this concept. Now we need a coded API of this concept and I want to be involved in that, but I want you to do some of the more annoying technical things that I don't understand. But usually people want to kind of have more ownership over those processes because it's not really fair to tell an engineer, like you don't have a say in what this API is going to be, just do it technically correct and then write all the tests for it and make sure the tests pass. Like that's not fun. No one likes that part of the job. But at the same time, you want to feel heard and respected, even if you're not an engineer, to be able to make those kinds of API decisions as a systems designer. So I guess what I'm saying is these are some of the difficulties of being someone who does multiple disciplines because it's a little bit fuzzy of where your role is and where people are expecting you to share your perspective, even if you feel like you could probably do the entire process yourself to some degree. And maybe that's kind of where things are moving. I don't really know. Yeah. When you said I drew this picture, it, put it on the web now, please. I was thinking, <laughs> is Katie lurking in our Slack? <laughs> what do you mean? Is are, that how it goes? Are you reading my private messages? <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you work together. <laughs> I send them a crayon drawing and I say, I made this pretty picture. Can you please put it on the web now, please? And they're like, yes, Anthony, we'll take it from me. And like, thank you. <laughs> And then I go back to my little drawing table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that's how it worked. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a designer. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I love that one. That's like, some. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll probably be thinking about that for the rest of the day now. Well, there's also a lot of diplomacy required, which... Uh... <laughs> I think the original form of the question, which is interesting that you came up with the answer you did, was... If, something like if you could force product managers to do one thing. Mm. And so I think product managers seems to be the the sort of fuzzy middle that's always, um, they have a hard job and it's different for every company because yeah. different levels of responsibility for different roles and how much they overlap and everything. Uh, yeah, it's tricky. I think it's difficult even in one company if you work with different teams. The expectations for a PM are probably radically different depending on what kind of area they're focusing on. So I don't envy that. I've spoken to product managers who expected to do all the research and I've spoken to designers who expected to do all the research. And um, generally when I ask, in the past I've asked people, like in interviews for example, um, if you join the company and the designer or the PM wanted to do all the research, how would you react? And they reacted quite angrily, you know, that they hadn't considered that the other person might be in a position to do that role hmm. or to take on those responsibilities. Uh, and I assume it's just that the company they came from, they had full responsibility. That's what they'd learned. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure the product managers were very grateful uh, in that case for that designer to be doing all the research. Then you join a different company and the product manager does all of the research because that's also a natural fit. Uh, yeah, it's tricky. It is. It's a culture thing, I think. Cool. Okay, well, I think we're out of time for our sentences here, but we got a lot of good ones. Yeah, I eight. Think. Uh, I think there was eight sentences. That was... Uh, <laughs> takes a lot longer to finish eight sentences than you think. Yes, it does. 
Cool. Well, thanks for being here for a whole year of complimentary. It's been a great time. Thank you, Anthony. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, thank you, Katie. And if anyone who's listening to this, listen to every episode, let us know. And um, we won't send you anything in the post. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll say it, thank you. Yes. Well, thank you. By, not personally, but by message. <laughs> not in person, rather. Yes. Great. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for sticking around. And we'll catch you in the next one. Bye.